Welcome to the Taylor and Jen podcast. Mornings with Taylor and Jen. You are tearing your house apart. And then, <laughs> ha, ha, ha. It was a good ha or a it bad was a ha? Good ha? It was a good ha. A good ha. Life 107.1. Conventional wisdom has always said that breakfast is the most important meal of the yeah, day. It's a tone setter. And as a mom, I have been very intentional about trying to teach my children to eat a good breakfast. Mm-hmm. Neither one of my kids like to eat breakfast. They say their stomachs don't wake up in the morning, which I don't understand because when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I think is, ooh, another day to eat. I just wake my stomach up. I'm like, hey, wakey, wakey. But however you feel about breakfast, this one is an interesting one. There is a very popular food item out there Mm -hmm. that is rebranding itself, at least for a while, as a breakfast item. I saw this and at first I was like, huh. And then I was like, huh. Yeah. Taylor doesn't often text me after nine o'clock at night. This one, he texted me after nine <laughs> o'clock. It was like all sorts of exclamation points after this one. Kraft mac and cheese is now a breakfast food. They're branding themselves as a breakfast food. Unlimited edition boxes. It's going to say Kraft mac and cheese breakfast because they did a survey and during the pandemic 56 percent of parents fed their children mac and cheese for breakfast now why do you think they did that because it's easy and it's tasty and now i want it (laughs) craft mac and cheese is rebranding itself as a breakfast food at at least for a limited amount of time because they heard 56 percent of parents admit they've been given their kids mac and cheese for breakfast during the pandemic. And we're a little weirded out by that. <laughs> I'm a little inspired. What do you think about that, Kathy? My mother had this philosophy that if you would eat it, she would make it. Okay. For breakfast. And I had a niece that when she was growing up, thought macaroni and cheese would be just fine three meals a day. Three meals a day? <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I can't say I yeah. disagree with her, honestly. <laughs> wow. Thanksgiving Day, she had to have mac and cheese as one of the sides. Yeah, I can get behind that. So you and your mom would both say, no problem, mac and cheese for breakfast. It's filling. It's got several of the food groups covered. It's hot. Put it in their stomachs and send them to school. Rebecca, would you do macaroni and cheese for breakfast? My son does. I do not. Okay. Here's the question. What about cake for breakfast? Well, duh. I've done cake for breakfast. I mean, it's just, it's cake. We have coffee cake for breakfast. (laughs) You can just call it a coffee cake and it's good. We have pancakes for breakfast. We just put something in front of cake and say, see, now it's a breakfast food. (laughs) I didn't let my kids have cake before, but then I thought, well, there's muffins, there's Mm -hmm. a cupcake, and there's donuts, so why not cake? Exactly. Exactly. I like the way you mother. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can't discriminate against it just because it's in a sheet pan instead of like a... Bunt cake or cupcake. We have or... crossed so many lines with breakfast that there there is no objective boundaries. Is there really any food that isn't a breakfast food? No. Really? No. And, and are there really breakfast police that are telling us what we have to or not have to eat for breakfast? If they are, they are sleeping on the job. <laughs> they have not been enforcing these laws. Kraft macaroni and cheese is now a breakfast food, America. Welcome to 2020. So far, you basically said... Why not? I haven't heard a single person who has something against mac and cheese for breakfast. Kraft is rebranding mac and cheese for a limited amount of time as a breakfast food. 
Some people say, why not? And uh, Kelly's even gone a step further. My son had three chocolate donuts, you know, those donuts, those little tiny oh, ones, yeah. and grapes for five years straight every day, because that's how I softened the blow of being such a good mom to give him sugar for breakfast. And honestly, he's a decent adult. Decent. Okay. Your son's breakfast for three years was three chocolate donuts and grapes. Yes. Um, <laughs> Kelly, is he the younger? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like the breakfast of a youngest child. I think I had actually given him the donuts for about, I don't know, three years before I heard another mom say, can you believe people give their kid a donut for breakfast? And I thought, ooh, I give my child three every day. But I balance it with fruit. And honestly, I can't remember if I ended up being friends with that mom. But, you know, God gives us our people. Dr. Heidi, many of us are in a season right now where our children are getting older. I actually have an adult child. Now, my daughter turned 18, graduated from high school. It's a whole shift in parenting. And just in a moment of kind of selfishness the other day, I thought to myself, what am I if I'm not a mom? Such a powerful question of identity. The truth is most of our relationship with our kids will be with them as adults which is kind of mind blowing when you're in the little years. Right. And it's all noses and backsides. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> so very it true. Not, it will not always be that. And, and most of it won't be. And as I've talked with so many women who are going through this transition, like, am I just a mom? What am I, if I'm not a mom, I think it's important to step back and say, okay, what are the pieces of being a mom or being a parent that you connect with the most? Do you love the nurturing piece of it? Do you love that teenage years, the connection and the, you know, the guidance and the the fun piece? And is there a way to take that piece that you're resonating with and turn that into a bigger picture mission and value statement? Especially as women, we go through a lot of different stages in life. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom for a while, and then you're back in the workforce part-time, then maybe it's full-time, and then, then you're an empty nester. And it's really important to kind of step back from, okay, my meaning purpose is just a mom to my meaning and purpose is a woman who does mothering, but who also does relationships, who also does, you know, whatever it is that you feel like God has equipped you to do so that you have a meaning and purpose statement that guides your interactions, not just with your kids and your family, but also with the checkout lady at Hy-Vee and also with the coworkers that you work with. So being a mom is just a piece of the identity, not the whole. Yes. And there's going to be seasons where it's the biggest piece, but your meaning and purpose isn't just defined by being in one context. This is dangerous, even with if your job is your source of meaning and purpose, because if you lose your job, you then lose your sense of meaning and purpose. Yeah. So again, kind of stepping back and saying, hey, wait a minute, what are the ways of being in interaction with people or, or in the world that God has gifted me in that brings me meaning and purpose? And how can that translate whatever life situation I may or may not be in? For example, you know, God in his grace to me saw that, you know, my children are getting older, they don't need me as much. So he's given me the opportunity to actually be a part of um, the theater. Again, I can do theater, I I can direct a play. And a lot of the characteristics that you utilize when you are mothering you utilize when you're directing plays never and, thought about it that yeah. way but but it's yeah. very very true there are certain actors that you have to kind of be a mother to but you also guide and you nurture and you show and you care you know and these are all parts that i loved about mothering mm. that now i mm. get to use in a theater and i just think that that's a 
gift that God gave me. And I think that there's a lot of things that if we open our eyes, instead of looking at, oh, my kids are leaving me, it's more, huh, I've got all these great skills now. Where can I apply them to elsewhere? I love that. I love that. And what a perfect example of taking that passion for parenting your kids and and translating it to something else that also brings meaning and purpose. When I first moved to Iowa 25 years ago, one of the things that I noticed was this is a hearty group of people. (laughs) They are amazing. I I like to think that after 25-ish years, I am now an Iowan, but my storm personality proves that that's not true. I get still so very, very scared and nervous during storms. So we want to know about your storm personality. Terry's actually got a story to illustrate his. This is back in like the late 80s. I'm grilling, got steaks on the grill, and the storm comes through, and I'm not about to let my steaks get burnt. Yeah, I hear like we had yesterday. So I pull it in the garage, (laughs) and we got gale force winds, torrential downpours. (laughs) I'm standing out there, and I'm running out between the house and the garage, making sure my steaks don't get burned. How did they turn out? They turned out wonderful. After the storm passed, we had a wonderful meal. The kids were uh, happy. You, sir, are an Iowan. That sounds very Iowan. Damn, I am. Born and raised. Forgiveness might be one of the most difficult things that we are asked to do as believers. But then when you realize how hard it is for us to forgive these human hurts, Mm. And then realize how much God forgave us and then what he did to show that and and to provide that forgiveness by giving his son for people who completely rejected him. Then you kind of get that feeling to yourself, well, then I don't have any other choice but to forgive as hard as it might be. Last year was a rough year for Mm -hmm. me. And there are people in my life that I've literally taken the last year to try to work on forgiveness because I've realized it's a process. It's not a moment. And we've been reading this book on forgiveness. And one of the things the guy brings up is this is one of the hardest parts about forgiveness is you have to get to the point where you are not constantly wishing evil on the person who hurt you. (laughs) Because there's this part of me, you you have that person that it's like, I want everything they love to go wrong. I want them to get what's coming to them. But that comes back to, I want me to feel good about them suffering, not that I want a wrong to be righted. And part of forgiveness is to get to the point where you don't say, I want them to get what's coming to them. And you have to literally revise your feelings. You have to work on changing your brain synapses to go from the negative thoughts whenever that person comes up to positive thoughts. Do you know how hard that (laughs) is? And here's the deal. I thought I had forgiven people until I reread that. And I was like, nope, there are still some people that I am rooting for their suffering. And that's not okay. It's not okay. It is okay to recognize that it's hard, and it is okay to recognize that it's a process, but it's not okay to wallow in it. Mm -hmm. You really have to do the hard work of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. We started a little mini book study on forgiveness, mostly because I needed it, because last year was a very hard year for me, and forgiveness is something that I'm having to do. Mm Mm-hmm. It's really hard. It's a thing. Cause <laughs> very, I, very hard. I always thought I was good at forgiveness until I had to forgive something besides Timmy cutting in front of me in line. When I realized that forgiveness wasn't denial, 
yeah. or forgetting about it temporarily because you're doing something else. And that forgiveness was this hard, long process. I realized maybe we should study up on it. Well, Pam has learned something really powerful about forgiveness. I just thought I'd share something that my sister did. We had a lot of hurt from our father and she found it difficult to forgive him. And she finally did so when she pictured him as a five-year-old child and how would she treat that child oh wow wow because he lived through a lot too and he was that five-year-old child once yes that's good yeah i mean the hurt's always there yes it is because you know it's who we are our experience but she was able to forgive him that's amazing we ended up caring for him the last few years of his life and it was not easy because Mm. some of those same came to bear and you realize you know you miss the person you wish that they had been and you know he stayed broken until the end right Mm. but we showed compassion on him anyway because that's what we're called to do no kidding my personal devotions this morning were on matthew 18 about fixing issues between brothers and sisters oh my goodness yeah forgiveness is something we're commanded to do he wouldn't have to command us to do it if it were easy. <laughs> it is a hard, hard thing, but we are so thankful for you sharing some of the lessons that you've learned about forgiveness. I have somebody in my life currently that is someone that I don't know very well, but it's someone that I interact with regularly that is just isn't kind. I interact with this person and I feel like the hits keep coming and I just keep thinking, okay, how do we respond positively? I think it's important to know that I have to have good boundaries when it comes to that person. Because that person, I was praying for God to change that person's heart because I thought, ew, I mean, what do you do when you really haven't done anything, but there's a conflict and you're not even sure what it is? So I prayed for God to change that person's heart. And all of a sudden I realized I didn't really need God to change her heart. I needed him to change mine. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's one that you can actually take action on, too. I also think that forgiving them or just trying to... I don't know, quote, do the right thing does not mean that their behavior is okay. It just kind of tells us we're going to like give it to God. Mm -hmm. Because I think if we don't, you do get better and you think, oh, I just think, you know what? God can change our hearts. And I feel like I'm way more at peace knowing that it's in God's hands and that I can't solve everything. You are tearing your house apart (laughs) to get it as clean as you possibly can. And then, (laughs) huh? Oh, I, it was a good ha or a it bad was a ha. Good ha? It was a good ha. A good ha. I came home from work and Lindsay has, I mean, you go down into the basement and everything is off the shelves. Everything's on the floor. Like she is going through woman on a mission. That is a legit clean. She really was. And she was like, there's a bunch of stuff on the stairs that I think we need to find homes for. I was like, okay. So I go up the stairs and, oh, there's a book that I forgot we owned. Oh, that's where that t-shirt went. And then... There's a little red box sitting on top of all of it. Like a jewelry box? Yeah. Oh. And I was like... I like jewelry boxes. Ha. I opened it up. Jen, it was my high school class ring. It was like the cheapy white gold. It had my initials on one side. There was a garnet in there because ruby is my birthstone, but I didn't want a pink stone in it, so I got a garnet instead. Okay. And then it had a holographic panther paw print. Oh, you guys were the panthers? We were the Pantigo Panthers. Oh, I like that. Where is it? Why aren't you wearing it? I don't know. It's just still in the box. I, (laughs) I didn't even try it on. You found your high school class ring and you didn't try it on? 
Yeah. What's wrong with you? What, is that what you're supposed to do? Of course it is. Really? Yes. When you find stuff from the past, you, the first thing you do is you try it on. Why do you do that to yourself? <laughs> Sometimes when you clean your house, you find things. Taylor found his high school ring. But get this. When he found it, he didn't try it on. I just have a feeling my knuckles have swollen a bit since I was 18 years old. I would have tried it on. Christy, do you still have your class ring? I still have mine on 35 years. You're no still wearing it. way, no, Christy. I'm wearing it right now. Oh, that's it's so it. nice. And it still fits. Still does. Now, do you have it on because you can't get it off your finger or because it no, legit fits? No, I have it not. I, I sit there and play with it all the time. Yeah, I take it off in the mornings when I kickbox because my gloves won't fit. You know, I didn't. It's yeah. Well, that's why it still fits because she starts the mornings with you're kickboxing. Kickboxing. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's pretty. It's got a pink stone on. Sorry, Taylor. But it's got a pink stone on it. <laughs> oh, high school. Oh, memorabilia. Oh, I can't believe you found your high school ring when you were cleaning and you didn't try it on. I have recently found a piece of high school memory too. Pieces Two of high pieces. school memorabilia. Yeah, you know, I mean, cleaning out stuff and packing stuff up and then unpacking things. I came across, number one, my high school diploma, which I was really excited Ooh. about because it, me- it means that if anybody ever questions whether I graduated from high <laughs> I've school. I've got it right here. I Exhibit can, A. I can prove it. But the other thing that I found, along with my high school diploma, was, oh, oh man, this is my high school yearbook, my senior year yearbook. Oh, boy. Which my children decided upon like vultures. That's getting to find no! your parents' yearbook is a special moment in every child's life. So they were going through and they're oh, like, yeah. "Mom, when they found my senior portrait in my in my yearbook, mm-hmm. they're like, "Mom, mom." I'm like, "Hey, <laughs> it was the 80s." But mom, I'm like, "What?" Mom, your hair doesn't even fit in the picture. <laughs> I know. And it was a point of pride, believe yeah. me, at that time. Recently, when I came across my high school yearbook, I made a big mistake. What was the mistake, Jen? I let my kids see it. Don't! <laughs> because Rookie mistake. my kids found my senior pictures, and of course they had to make comments on it. I just thought I looked okay. I mean, it was the 80s. We were supposed to look like that. Kelly, what are the comments your kids are making? Whenever my kids saw pictures of me and my siblings and my family when we were growing up, they would always say, how could you breathe in that turtleneck? <laughs> you, can't even, you can't even see that you have a body in there. <laughs> when we look at like memorabilia, like wedding pictures, my wedding pictures were really pretty. I mean, like my dress was pretty. Nobody can get to how pretty my dress was because everybody wants to talk about my hair. <laughs> well, if we've ever had practice managing worrying and anxiety, it would be in 2020. And now we have another thing that we need to be (laughs) not anxious and not worrying about uh, the after effects of uh, the hurricane. Crazy storm that went on. And it's just we have so much stress in our lives right now that it's like it just kind of fills up the entire page of my brain sometimes. Like there is no emotional margin and any little thing that comes is just going to be that much more catastrophic to me. But our friend Jean Holthouse explained how we can build a little bit more emotional margin into our lives. We have to slow down some is one of the ways we can do that. Remembering that it takes more energy to do the things that we normally were doing without having to think. 
even the fact that you and I are having this conversation and we can't see one another's nonverbals mm-hmm. means our brains have to work harder just to fill in the blanks. So our brains are having to work harder to do all of these things they would just normally do. Hmm. So if we could slow down and not try to do so much, that's really, really helpful. And then look at what are things that emotionally rejuvenate you. And it's probably not things like binge watching Netflix. (laughs) It's things like, am I eating healthy? Am I exercising regularly? Am I getting good sleep? Those things create emotional margin for us. We know that if kiddos don't go to bed on time, they are grumpy the next day. Well, adults who don't go to bed in time are grumpy the next day. (laughs) So we can do some of those things to create margin. 2020 does seem like an interruption of a normal life. Oh, my goodness. Everything's put on pause. Everything's canceled or at least just really, really different. But it's not an interruption. It is our real life. And Jean Holthouse explained how we can live well in the middle of this pause. One of the things we're going to have to do is let go of what, quote, should be going on. (laughs) Because who says it should be? And yet we all have like, this shouldn't be happening, or I should be able to do this. That stuff makes us miserable. If we can look at this is what is right now. How do I make the best of it? How do I live reflecting the love of Christ? How do I live as Christ's hands and feet in this world? Then we can make the best of it. And we'll actually be much less anxious and emotionally distressed than if we're constantly comparing it to what it should be and upset that it's not the way we think it should be. Our politicians aren't doing what we think they should. Our teachers aren't doing what we think they should. Schools aren't doing what we think they should. Our kids aren't doing what they think they should. That stuff makes us edgy and miserable. And it robs us of the gift of today. Power's still out. Well, yeah. For many of us. For many of us, including Taylor and including me, which, you know, it's an inconvenience, but it's also a loss. All the food in the fridge. And that was, you know, (laughs) people were telling us, here's the stuff you can keep and here's the stuff you can't. So I had that sad appointment at the refrigerator yesterday. You opened it up. Got the trash can to my left, the refrigerator to my right. And I'm like, nope, don't feel good about that. Don't feel good about saving that. And here's the downside to when you clean out your refrigerator. It does look nice when it's all clean. Jen, I have so much salad dressing. Is that the thing? Like, I'm going through and I'm like, I don't even eat that much salad. And there's like the entire, you know, you've got shelves inside the door. It's just all salad dressing. (laughs) I've got, I think, four different kinds of ranch, all in various stages of being consumed. Multiple brands, multiple flavors. I've got vinaigrettes just out the wazoo. More than I know what to do with. I know. Here's the thing, though. Salad dressings is one of those things when you walk by it in the aisle and you see it, you're like, huh. I might eat salad. Ah, that looks like it'd be pretty good. And you just throw it in the cart. And exactly. then you end up with 27 of them in That's, the refrigerator. It's an aspirational purpose. <laughs> I want to be the kind of person who would work through all of these salad dressings. Well, you worked through them. <laughs> worked them right into the trash can. This has been the Taylor and Jen podcast. You can hear more from Taylor and Jen weekday mornings online at life1071.com or on the Life 107.1 app.